Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Along the western edge of Oakland, California, there are all these warehouses and recycling centers. And there's also this vacant city lot where about 70 people are squatting, mostly in RVs and trailers, but tents too. It's right after New Year's, and a big storm just whipped through the area. It took people here by surprise. After years of drought in California, suddenly there was a deluge. We fight Mother Nature. Messiah Ali has been living here for about a decade. Parts of the camp are flooded now, so he's laying down wooden pallets and sheet metal to make a path. I'll put this makeshift bridge down. And I'm hoping it don't get as high as the house. Kind of high right there, see? It's a nightmare when it rains here. My place is, is entirely flooded. Lydia Bloomberg is already trying to prep for the next storm which is supposed to hit in less than 24 hours. So I should be getting better tarps over my camper and um, trying to shelter off some of the area so it's not pouring water down. But while Lydia is hanging up her clothes on a fence to try to get them dry, there's another kind of cloud looming over her. The city has given residents here a week to pack up and move out. Honestly, it just feels like pure harassment to me. They're threatening us with bulldozers. Over the past half decade, more people have become homeless, not just in California, but all across the country. And climate change is supercharging an already intense public debate about how to respond. Activists are concerned if the city of Minneapolis shuts down encampments this winter like it has several times already this year, people's lives could be in danger. A federal judge has temporarily banned California's capital city of Sacramento from clearing homeless camps, citing excessive heat. I'm Aaron Baldessari, and this is Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America, a KQED podcast where we envision what home should be. This week, housing reporter Vanessa Rancano takes us to California's Central Valley to look at how people who are experiencing homelessness are dealing with the deadliest kind of climate threat, extreme heat, and how one city is being forced to respond. State Route 180 is quintessential California. It cuts across the heart of the state, passing through the country's most productive farmland, climbing through foothill fields of poppies and lupin into forests home to the biggest trees on Earth. As it passes the billboards and strip malls of Fresno, it tells another story about California. This one isn't about natural beauty and bounty, but about a state struggling to accommodate its people. Here, the freeway itself has become a shelter of last resort. Beneath it, people seek refuge from the area's rising housing costs and from the heat. 
When I first meet Deanna Everhart, it's mid-June, and temperatures are already in the high 90s. This is the most best shade, I bet, in all of Fresno, <laughs> huh, right here. Underneath the freeway, it feels like it's a few degrees cooler. Deanna's only been staying under this overpass for a few weeks, but she's been living on Fresno streets on and off for about 20 years. In that time, she's learned strategies for managing the heat. She keeps cups of ice on hand to cool down the Gatorades that always end up warm as bathwater. If she has to walk, she picks the shady side of the street. And she takes the perks where they come. This time of year, we will go to the grocery store and um, buy TV dinners. We like Marie Callender TV dinners. And we'll set them out a day like this, and they will cook as if they were in a microwave. And about 30 minutes, they're ready. They're hot and ready. She chose this spot under the overpass because of the protection it offers going into another brutal summer, even though she hates how dusty it is here. I have OCD and, and I don't like dirt anyway. <laughs> you know, I'm always having to wash my feet and hands constantly. Deanna is 61. Her skin is tanned and freckled from years of sun. But there's something girlish about her. She wears her long, dark hair in low pigtails. In her 20s, she played guitar in an all-girl metal band called Sweet Lies. Like sweet, but not so sweet. We are rocker girls. I think she still likes the spotlight. But these days, she tends to hold her hand in front of her mouth while she talks because she's shy about her teeth. She can't always brush them out here. To make life on the streets a little more bearable, Deanna's camped with a friend for the last few years. We take shifts on sleeping because we have to watch the stuff 24-7. Their camp is a collection of carts and boxes, piled with blankets and pillows, dozens of full plastic bags, empty food and drink containers, and a molding sheet cake. Yeah, somebody gave it to us, but it's already old. Out here, you learn to accept stuff. Heat is nothing new for Deanna. She grew up in Fresno, but these aren't her childhood summers. The heat waves are more frequent and extreme. 2021 saw a record 69 days over 100 degrees. Last year was almost as bad. As Deanna has gotten older, the extreme temperatures have gotten more difficult to deal with. It's just hard, I don't know, at my age. Everything combined uh, is hard on me. Older bodies are more vulnerable to the elements, and living on the streets ages you. The body of a 50-year-old living outside is more like that of a 70- or 80-year-old living indoors. But Deanna's less worried about herself than her son. The mat on the other side is my son's stuff. That's his spot where he lays when he comes. His name is Travis, and he lives out here too. He's 39, and he has schizophrenia. You know, I'm out here for my son. The last time Deanna had housing, she and her friend, her name is Shannon, they were sharing a room not far from here in downtown. Travis was on the streets, and Shannon says he was hard to keep tabs on. We just want to take off. They would take turns riding the bus to look for him. And make sure he's okay, make sure, do, do you need food, do you need clothes, do you need blanket, whatever, you know. Deanna turns to Shannon. But do you remember when I got scared? Yes. It was the beginning of summer, like about this time of year. He already had a bad sunburn. His face was already just beet red. The nose almost looked like hamburger meat, right? Remember how worried we were? 
We found him a few times in the hottest part of the day, just sitting there talking to the voices, facing the sun too. <laughs> I mean, he would the worst everything he could do, he was doing it. They tried to get him to move into the shade. They tried buying him hats from the thrift store, but the only thing he would accept was some aloe vera for his charred nose. Sometimes they could convince Travis to stay with them in the shared room, but he'd yell out because of his psychosis. The manager banned him after people complained. So I thought, I'll go to him. That's when uh, Shannon and I came out here. That was like last year. I I am legitimately scared. Yeah, we're both scared for him a lot. Deanna is especially worried after what happened with Travis's friend, Patrick Weaver. They were on the same page, you know, and they would talk about, you know, Spider-Man and Yu-Gi-Oh and, you know, that kind of thing. And they were on the same level and schizophrenic, both of them. And uh, it's hard for my son to find a, a good friend like that. Then last summer, Fresno baked with a whole month of triple digit temperatures. Patrick was living outside. It was about two days before the heat wave was over and they found him dead behind the AMPM on Blackstone and Bullard. And uh, and that was just um, <laughs> devastating is the only word I could, the only word I could think of to, to describe that. Patrick died four days after Fresno reached its second hottest temperature on record, 114 degrees. Schizophrenia affects the brain's ability to regulate body temperature and make reasoned decisions, putting people at a higher risk of a heat-related death. I think it was, well, it had to be heat-related. The official cause of death, according to the coroner, was an overdose. Patrick had meth and fentanyl in his system. Meth is a major contributor to heat-related illness and death because it raises body temperature. The number of unhoused people who die as a result of extreme weather in Fresno and around the state is hard to know. Most coroners don't track whether a person was housed or not when they died. What we do know is that the number of dangerously hot days in Fresno has gone up by 17 days a year compared to about 40 years ago. And that number is expected to keep climbing. Whether it's severe heat, fires, or floods, people experiencing homelessness are on the bleeding edge of the climate emergency. A long-term solution, of course, would be to stop burning as many fossil fuels and get people off the streets. California is building affordable housing and phasing out its use of fossil fuels, but that's not happening overnight. In the meantime, advocates and lawmakers are trying to keep people from dying on our sidewalks. Deanna's story captures so much of what unhoused people are experiencing as climate change makes the weather increasingly hostile. And her city's struggle to respond raises one of the most central questions staring us down as we adapt to a warming world. Whose health and whose comfort, whose lives will we prioritize? Hi, 
I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. July in Fresno kicks off with a 108-degree day, the hottest of the year so far. Under the freeway, Deanna's friend Shannon is lying against the sloped overpass wall, trying to keep cool. It makes me feel more drowsy, like I'm standing next to an open oven or really close to a fireplace. Deanna's sitting in a chair nearby. When you're sweaty, that's just the worst thing, and you can't take a shower. (laughs) Even under the overpass, it's sweltering. But Deanna and Shannon are facing the prospect of going into the hottest part of the summer without even this shelter. The city is moving ahead with a new law targeting unhoused people that restricts access to any place designated a sensitive area. Yeah, we can't be under here. Among the many places that could soon be off-limits are overpasses, underpasses, and bridges that provide vital sources of shade. Deanna and Shannon are trying to figure out where to move before the ordinance goes into effect in a few days. We don't even know. That's why we're, we're very scared now. Yeah, this is going to cause people to die out here, literally die out here. Fresno City leaders moved forward with the plan despite public outcry. They told me it was about ensuring unhoused people and their things don't block public rights of way. In a letter to the city council, an ACLU attorney argued the law violates the U.S. and state constitutions. And local advocates for the homeless warned the consequences could be dire. You need cold water? Here you go, sir. Bob McCloskey is one of them. He's driving from encampment to encampment, handing out water bottles and trying to get the word out about the new law. They're going to try to ban people for being under this uh, freeway. We're fighting it. I'm with the Fresno Homeless Union. We have a campaign to stop this. So read about it. It's terrible. Draconian, I call it. Since Bob started advocating for unhoused people in Fresno, he's seen the toll punishing weather takes. That's part of why he's so worried about the new law. Definitely see a lot of older, disabled people languishing in the heat and the cold, wheelchairs, walkers. So, you know, it's heartbreaking. Bob and other advocates in Fresno are pushing for more affordable housing, rent control, and short-term solutions like tiny home villages with air conditioning and places where people can set up tents or RVs with the city's permission. So we're out here helping people, but we also go down to City Hall just about every two weeks to to hammer on them (laughs) because it takes constant monitoring and pressure. There's one victory that Bob helped win, an expansion of the city's warming and cooling centers. 
In Fresno, like in many cities, they're the primary resource for the homeless during extreme weather events. But a recent decision to make them more available has created a lot of drama. I stopped by the cooling center closest to Deanna and Shannon's camp. It's just a couple blocks away, at the Ted C. Wills Community Center. I meet City Council Member Miguel Arias there. Hey James, how are you? Looks like we have our first participant today of the cooling center. The air conditioning in the community center gym is blasting. There's water available and kennels in the corner for pets. Folding tables and chairs are set up where people can play Connect Four or Uno. This will be the first time that we have extended hours for the summer cooling center, so we'll see how folks respond. The city opens cooling centers when temperatures reach 100 degrees now, instead of 105, and they're open longer. In response to climate change, we're having to fundamentally change the use of community centers in neighborhoods. The biggest change came this winter. During the weeks and weeks of rainstorms, people on the streets got soaked and their tents flooded. Instead of needing to stay cool, people desperately needed to stay warm. The city council responded with an emergency ordinance that kept the warming centers open for more than three months straight. They tapped into a huge need. The centers were full beyond capacity, but it required trade-offs. Those community centers that once were places of youth recreational activities and senior programming and senior meals, essentially becoming homeless shelters for months at a time. And that created a backlash Councilmember Arias did not expect. Neighbors who live near the centers were furious about the change. He held community meetings to hear their complaints. They're now requesting that we um, permanently remove their neighborhood community center as a designation for an emergency shelter of any kind. Hey, I'm Vanessa. I'm a radio reporter. How you doing? How old are you? I meet Chris Collins and his 10-year-old son at their house directly next to the Ted C. Wills Community Center. All right, bud, we're going to go backyard, okay? From the backyard, we can see the center. Then this is the parking lot, you know, right here, like literally just 10, 15 feet on the other side of our fence across the alley. Chris and his wife were excited to buy a house and put down roots here after bouncing around from rental to rental in Fresno. They like the old houses in the neighborhood and that it's close to cafes and restaurants. It's actually a great place to raise a family. It's real Fresno. It's, uh, it's very diverse here. But the change to the warming center this past winter came as a shock. It was a complete disaster for our neighborhood. There was a tent in the alley behind his house and more on the sidewalk around the corner. Someone left a stroller full of belongings in his front yard. And in the middle of the night, a man pounded on his neighbor's door. And like, I mean, you can tell from the photo, this guy's probably homeless. He refused to leave until the owner pulled out a gun. A Parks Department employee I talked to said staff at the center were completely overwhelmed. People brought alcohol and weapons into the sleeping area and used drugs in the bathroom. She said before the community center's preschool program was put on pause, a little girl stepped in human poop and ended up smearing it on her clothes. Chris heard similar complaints. There's got to be a better solution. He says the neighbors never had a problem with the center being operated as it had in the past, a few days at a time. We see that as a point of pride that, like, our neighborhood is, like, helping people when, you know, the weather gets a little crazy. But the stretches of wild weather are getting longer and longer. And Arias expects this kind of conflict isn't going away. This is one of the many unintended consequences of climate change at the local level. And residents uh, will continue to push back 
on local government as we try to adjust and expand services to save lives, which is really what we're trying to do with warming and cooling centers. Deanna stayed at the Ted C. Wills Center the whole time it was open. She says she's not sure how she would have survived without it. I was I was truly scared this year because when you're already cold and in agony as it is and then add wetness on top of it. The changes to the warming center that made Chris and his neighbors miserable are what made it actually helpful for Deanna for the first time. Everybody loved it, and most of uh, the people in there were, were seniors. She and Shannon rarely used the warming centers in the past because they weren't very practical. They were only open sporadically, and you couldn't take all your stuff inside. If it were up to Deanna, the centers would be open half the year, for the coldest months and the hottest. Fresno has already doubled what it spends on warming and cooling centers. But after the controversy this winter, the city is looking for ways to minimize the impact on neighbors and staff. For now, the plan is to have nonprofits and churches take over the work of managing them. Back home in the Bay Area, sitting at my desk, I got a text from Deanna. She said she'd been meaning to write me about something disturbing that happened with her son, Travis. About four nights ago, a homeless guy told me that someone told him, quote, you know that guy Travis? They found him dead in the woods around here, and he died from a heart attack. And then she says, and my son's been missing for about eight or nine days now. He does roam around town usually, but lately he was sticking around a lot. Then nothing. I've already reported him missing to the Fresno PD. I'm not doing very good right now. (sighs) I'm worried. And I really was worried, because after spending almost nine hours talking to her at that point, I'd started to understand what it means to her to be there for Travis in the ways she can. Deanna had four kids by the time she was in her early 30s, and the OCD that had always made her a little quirky had become debilitating. She couldn't manage the responsibilities of parenting or maintaining a home, and all of her kids ended up with their grandparents. One of her daughters told me her mom was neglectful, Deanna admits she was struggling with mental illness and had a hard time caring for her kids. It's clear that the scars from that time haven't fully healed. Deanna is still crushed about losing her kids, and her daughter still feels a lot of pain about not having a relationship with her mother. But on the streets, Deanna's reconnected with Travis. She gets another chance to mother, as she puts it, both her own son and so many other people out there. I'd watched her offer food to a young guy who wandered over confused and hungry. Okay, honey, if you'll wait a minute, we'll get you a a cup of noodle over there at the store and a little 50-cent soda, Shastakola. Do you want that? And when another young man ducked into their camp for cover while he smoked meth, she fended him off with deep compassion. Honey, I'm sorry. Look, my son does it, and I love my son, and and my friends do, but they don't do it right around us. All right. She keeps extra blankets in the winter and buys extra jackets from the thrift store to hand out. She found one man's family on Facebook and reconnected them. For herself, Deanna's dream is to live in a house in the country with horses and chickens. But when I asked her if she'd take what the city might eventually be able to offer, a converted motel room, she hesitated. I'm not opposed to it, but if I have to be out here, I'm okay. 
because I know I'm better off than the ones I see out here. And maybe I just feel like I need to be out here to help them. I don't know. In most of the world, Deanna's OCD makes it hard for her to function. She lost a room in an SRO after she spent four hours in the shower. Because I didn't feel rinsed enough. I kept feeling like there's still soap on me. She got kicked out of a women's shelter in town because she was too slow to follow their schedule. But out here, she's helping to solve other people's problems. What if her son Travis is the one person she can't help? The next day, I got another text from her. The police found Travis. He was fine. I, I mean, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep for not. He was missing for like eight days, eight or nine. And when I talked to her on the phone, she sounded relieved. Yeah, yeah. He everything's okay. So he came the next day, and he came for like a night. Fed him a peanut butter and jelly that we had and another sandwich and he took off the next time i visit her she and shannon are still looking for somewhere to go to avoid the new law that limits where they can stay deanna asked me to drive her to scope out an island of county-owned land in the middle of the city i think it's this lot so we park somewhere in the shade We pull up to a dirt and gravel lot. There are no trees, no shade. The sun is beating down. It's not promising. There's a fireworks stand set up on the lot. Deanna asked the woman running it about the area and how she thinks neighbors would feel about a couple of unhoused women staying there. She ends up explaining the whole predicament. Oh, it's real unjust for the homeless. You have to be 500 feet away from all these different places, schools, parks, libraries. Where can we go? Because my friend and I, we're doing everything that we're supposed to do. You know, we're not on drugs. We're not on alcohol. We're on two waiting lists for housing. We have bank accounts. We have um, income. We just don't have a home. The woman nods in recognition. She says she has two jobs but lives with her brother because she can't afford to live on her own. Fresno saw the biggest rent increases of any big city in the country between 2017 and 2021 almost 40%. They've kept climbing since. Deanna lives on $1,252 a month in SSI, plus food stamps. That's less than the median rent in Fresno. I'm sorry, I hope you find something. Okay, well, thank you very much then. Deanna leaves disillusioned. The woman told her neighbors would for sure complain if they set up camp here. Deanna doesn't have any other ideas about where to go. She decides to take her chances and stick it out under the freeway. It's 8.30 in the morning and it's already 80 degrees. I'm on my way to Fresno because there's a, an excessive heat warning in place. It's now it's mid-July. Another heat wave is hitting California and Fresno is expecting triple digits for days. Local officials are warning there's an extreme risk of heat-related illness, especially for people who don't have access to air conditioning. When I get to the overpass, Deanna and Shannon's camp is gone. Instead, the two of them are sitting across the street on a narrow strip of dirt along the sidewalk. Their things are loaded into their carts. The city's homeless response team had caught up to them. They hit us four times in the last uh, less than a year. The team had come by the day before and told them to move. 
As far as Deanna could tell, this had nothing to do with the new law. It was just business as usual. The response team addresses complaints from residents and businesses about encampments. Everything we do revolves around them, trying to evade them. The team shows up with a garbage truck, and more than once, Deanna and Shannon have had most of their belongings thrown away. That's not only a major mental and financial setback, it can be life-threatening, especially in extreme weather. People lose medications and sweeps and survival gear. Blankets, clothes, food, hygiene, you know, bottled water. They threw away our protein bars, our Gatorade stuff for the summer. They threw it all away. We had to dehydrate for a while after that. Yeah, stuff for survival. This time they managed to hold on to most of their stuff, but they were still told to leave the area. Like, you really? I'm 61 and you want me to roll my stuff in um, the 110 degree and die? I I can't, you know, this is, I mean, where are we going to go? So now they're setting up camp here, just a couple hundred feet from where they'd been, still under the same overpass. Elsewhere, activists have gone to court and won temporary bans on sweeps during heat waves. But for City Council member Miguel Arias, who represents the district where Deanna and Shannon and most of the city's unhoused residents live, clearing camps is a safety requirement. When you have the amount of feces, the amount of drug paraphernalia, the amount of rotting food, all in one location, you get outbreaks of disease. And so that's why we have to respond. Deanna says dumpsters and porta-potties would go a long way towards solving the problem. The city has invested over $100 million in the last three years on housing and homeless services. It's permanently housed nearly 1,900 people. But the city estimates there are still 1,700 people who were unsheltered. And that's because the unhoused numbers continue to grow. When I talked to Deanna in early September, she's in the hospital. I saw the black widow web near where I was sleeping. She got bitten by a spider on her hand. It got infected and she had to have surgery. She says they cut out part of her thumb and put in a drain that looked like a McDonald's straw. Shannon asked, what does it look like? I said, the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) My thumb looks like the zombie apocalypse. I'm not kidding. I am not exaggerating either. It looks terrible. In the weeks before the spider bite, life on the streets had proceeded as usual, which is to say it was one crisis after another. Deanna got her phone stolen and had to buy it back from the thief. Then the homeless response team cleared her and Shannon's camp again. This time they lost most of their stuff. And Travis is in jail for property damage and resisting arrest. Apparently he threw some rocks at a car because the car was loud. When I check the jail's database and tell Deanna he's set to be released in early November, she's grateful. I hoped and prayed for him only a few months. Still, in a way, she's relieved he's in jail. At least she knows where he is and that he has food and shelter. In the midst of all this, the hospital is almost a welcome vacation. There's air conditioning and a bed. Oh, it's been nice, I'll tell you that. Uh... They bring your food, you lay in this comfortable bed that puts lots of pillows. And here people are looking after her. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, I think better. Yeah. Just nurse checking on me. In the hospital, Deanna met with a social worker. 
She told the woman she's already on a waiting list for housing. So she said, well, there's not much more you can do than that, you know. We spend a lot of time studying homelessness and arguing about it and blaming each other. It's like climate change that way. Their problems so big, they're overwhelming. We know the underlying causes. We even have some pretty good ideas about how to address them. But most of the time, all we manage to do is treat the symptoms. If there's anything positive I can say to end this story, it's this. Deanna, Shannon, and Travis have each other. When Deanna gets released from the hospital, Shannon will help her tie a plastic bag around her bandaged hand to keep out the dirt. At least that's the plan. At their new camp, alongside a different freeway, they'll take turns sleeping under the tarp and umbrella they're using for shade. And they'll be waiting for Travis when he gets out. That was Vanessa Rancano. I'm Erin Baldessari, and this is Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. If you like what you hear, do us a favor. Drop a review or hit that follow button on your favorite podcast app. It really helps people find the show. Next week, we're going to Oakland, California, to visit one neighborhood where they're taking a radical approach to cutting carbon emissions in their homes. Sold Out is a production of KQED. This episode was written and reported by Vanessa Rancano and edited by Erica Kelly and Kevin Stark. Jen Chien is our contributing editor. Brendan Willard is our sound engineer, and Cedric Wilson wrote our theme song. Thanks to the KQED podcast team, including Katie Spranger, Cesar Saldana, and Maha Sanad. Special thanks to sold-out co-creator Molly Solomon. We couldn't have made this season without Ethan Tobin Lindsay, Holly Kernan, and Otis Taylor Jr. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.